140 Psalm 145. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. We read sacred scripture that far. The text for our sermon this morning is verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we begin, take note of two important features about Psalm 145. One of those is obvious, and the other is not quite so apparent at first reading of the psalm. First, there's a feature of this psalm that's not so easy to understand from our reading of it. And that feature of Psalm 145 is that it's an acrostic or an alphabetical psalm. Each verse of this psalm begins with the next letter of 
the Hebrew alphabet so that it goes from the beginning of the Hebrew alphabet with verse 1 to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet in the last verse. The purpose of that literary device here in this Hebrew poetry is to express that a subject is being explained completely and fully without anything being left out that's essential. We would say in English that you're covering the subject from A to Z. That's the one feature, the one that's not so obvious. Then there's another feature of this psalm that is obvious. And that's that this is obviously a psalm of praise to God. The heading over this psalm, though not inspired, we believe yet to be accurate, is that this is David's psalm of praise. That's the only place in the book of Psalms where a psalm is referred to that way as David's psalm of praise. In the last part of the book of Psalms, in the five psalms that precede this one, Psalms 140 to 144, you have psalms of prayer to God. And then in the last psalms, the last six, from Psalm 145 here to Psalm 150, you have psalms of praise to God. And it's fitting that the book of Psalms ends with a collection of psalms of praise. And heading up that last section of psalms of praise to God is David's psalm of of praise. This psalm, Psalm 145. What you have here, therefore, is David expressing praise to God fully and completely without leaving anything out, expressing praise to God, as it were, from A to Z. Our attention is focused this morning, especially on verse 4, and that on account of the occasion of infant baptism this morning. Verse 4 is significant because it indicates that this is not only a personal psalm of praise to God, but this is a song of praise of the generations of God's people. That matter of generations is one that's very dear and precious to us. And that's not merely the case as parents with a natural affection for one's children or grandparents for their grandchildren, but this is the church's interest and concern for the coming generations of God's covenant people the older generations of the church have an interest and a concern for the younger generations of God's people. They desire that those younger generations be taught and instructed to praise and worship God. And the younger generations of the church ought to have an interest and a care for the older generations of the church. Younger generations ought to 
view them with respect, ought to look to them for advice and instruction, seeking to learn from them the precious, biblical, and reformed heritage that's ours. The fruit of this, under the blessing of God, is generational praise. One generation to the next, praising God. Let's consider the text this morning under the theme, One Generation Praising God's Works to Another. First, great God. Secondly, generational praise. And then thirdly, necessary instruction. This psalm in our text speaks of the greatness of God. As that greatness of God is revealed in His mighty works. Notice in verse 4, it refers to His works and to His mighty acts. In theology, we distinguish between God's works in eternity and His works in time. His works in eternity refer to His eternal counsel and decree, whereby God from eternity before the creation of the world determined everything that would take place in time and in history. God's works in time are the execution perfectly of that eternal decree. It's God's perfect carrying out of His eternal counsel. Here in Psalm 145, the emphasis is on the latter, on works of God in time. One of the great works of God in time is His work of creation. The word for work here in our text is the same word It's used in Psalm 8 in reference to God's creation. Psalm 8, verse 3, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. By the power of his sovereign voice, he called all things into existence in a moment, so that they were brought forth by the word of God's sovereign power. God made all things in the beginning. And what a marvelous display that is of the greatness and the power of God. How mighty is His work in creation. Another of the mighty works of God in time is His work of providence. That's referred to here in Psalm 145, in verses 15 and 16, where we read, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. God's providence is his almighty power whereby he upholds and governs everything that he has made. Having created everything in the beginning, God continues to preserve it. 
providing for the needs of his creatures, as those verses we just read indicate. And God in his providence governs, directs, controls everything to serve his sovereign purposes. Almighty is the work of God in providence. Creation, providence, and then salvation, the greatest of God's works in time, is his work of salvation. And that's especially what's being emphasized in Psalm 145, the praise of God for the salvation of his people. The matter of our salvation is described in the psalm in terms of God's kingdom. Notice already in the opening verse, I will extol thee, my God, O King. And then the repeated references to the kingdom, in verses 11 through 13, they shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. To be saved is to belong to the heavenly and spiritual kingdom of God. That kingdom is the rule of God in the hearts of his elect people by his word and his spirit. That kingdom is established in the saving work and the atoning death of Jesus Christ. The only foundation and basis of that kingdom is Jesus Christ and what he's done by Christ coming into this world, his life of suffering and his perfect obedience to the Father, and by his atoning death at the cross, he's laid the foundation of that heavenly spiritual kingdom. Having ascended up into heaven, Jesus Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father as King. And as our King, He blesses us with the blessings of that kingdom. Though we're conceived and brought forth into this world, spiritually dead, under the power of the kingdom of darkness, He delivers us out of that kingdom of darkness. He draws us to himself and into the kingdom of heaven and of light. Blesses us with the chief blessing of that kingdom, which is the forgiveness of our sins. He delivers us from the ruling dominion of sin and Satan. Though we're not yet in this life delivered from the body of sin. Gives to us the hope of life with him forever in the perfected kingdom. Because Jesus Christ as king is coming again to bring about the full realization of that kingdom. To bring about the total destruction of the kingdom of darkness. Though he defeated that kingdom of darkness already at the cross... The full destruction will come at his second coming and he will bring to its full realization the kingdom of heaven and of glory. This is our salvation. 
We belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Christ is our king. We're blessed with the blessings of his victory as king. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have the spirit of King Jesus dwelling within us. We have the hope of life with him forever in perfection. Almighty is the work of God in our salvation. But something that we do well as children of God, think about, meditate upon all of our life law. Those mighty acts of God reveal to us who our God is. And that's the purpose of God in these mighty acts ultimately, to reveal His greatness and glory. It comes out here in Psalm 145 in the repeated references to the attributes of God. The focus is not so much even on the mighty acts of God, but the focus is on the God who performs them. Notice some of those attributes here. Verse 7, God's goodness. Verse 7 again, God's righteousness. Verse 8, God's grace and His mercy. Verse 11, His power. Verse 17, His holiness. Verse 18, His omnipresence. He's nigh unto all them that call upon Him. The ultimate purpose of God in These mighty acts, his creation, providence, salvation, is to reveal himself, his great glory and supreme majesty. And yet too often, we fail to think about, recognize, dwell on, meditate upon the greatness and the glory of our God. Easy, isn't it, for us to go through earthly life and at times to do so without a thought of God. We can see a marvelous display of the handiwork of God as Creator. We can see a beautiful sunset a sparkling ocean, a towering mountain. And we marvel at the beauty of that without ever considering the greatness of the God who made that. We can see some marvelous display of God's providence in our life whereby He's upholding and governing all things, providing for us what we need and directing the circumstances of our life And marvel at this providence without considering the God of providence. And we can even meditate upon the blessings of salvation. As important as that is and as wonderful as those blessings are to us. Without yet thinking about the God of our salvation. That ought not be. 
Our minds ought to be filled with thoughts of God. So that we think much of Him. We dwell often upon the greatness of His glory and His majesty. We meditate deeply upon who He is and the character of our God. That can only have the effect and the fruit in the life of the child of God of an increased awe and wonder and holy fear of Him. Thinking about, meditating upon God in His character can only have the effect of a deepened love for Him. Thinking about, meditating upon God in His greatness can only have the effect of a strengthened trust and faith in Him. To be very practical and concrete, this is the mindset that we ought to have when we go to the Word of God. Yes, we go to the Word of God to instruct us and to guide us in how we are to live, but we ought first to go to the Word of God to consider what does this Word teach me about God? How is God revealed here in the mighty acts of God? What do I learn about His character? So that we go to the Word of God, not just for practical guidance. We learn from the Word of God who our God is. And the wonder of that is that we can spend our whole life studying that and never come to the end. Verse 3 Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. This is not a subject that we can ever exhaust. That we finally say we've come to the end and we know everything that there is to know. This is not a subject that we tire of or become bored with because we are simply hearing the same thing again and again. Not only is that the case in this life, that will be the case in everlasting life and glory. We will spend eternity searching out the the greatness of God without ever coming to the end of that. How wonderful that is to dwell on, think about, meditate on the unsearchable greatness of our God. The response to that knowledge on the part of the child of God is that of praise. Psalm 145 is David's psalm of praise. It's been called by others the crown jewel of praise. Here David gives expression to his awe and wonder at the greatness of God, having considered all that God has done for him, especially God's salvation of him, David can't keep quiet. He can't keep it to himself. And he bursts forth in this beautiful song of praise. 
praise arises from a heart that's touched with gratitude for all that God has done for us in saving us. Praise arises from a heart that's filled with wonder and awe and holy fear at the supreme majesty and the beauty of our God. And praise then is the expression of that, the overflow of the heart. So that bursting forth from our mouth are words of adoration and declarations of the greatness of God. And then that overflow shows itself in our lives as well. Living a grateful life in harmony with the Word of God, we do so to the praise of His name. This is our purpose. This is the supreme purpose of our life, both now and forever. This is the purpose of God in creating us. This is the purpose of God in recreating us, saving us. That we praise Him for His greatness. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. But our text indicates that this is not only a matter for our personal life, that I personally, as a child of God, praise Him and thanks and in wonder for all that He's done, but this is a matter of the generations in the church of Christ. One generation shall praise thy works to another. The truth of generations is a precious and a beautiful truth of God's Word. It belongs to the wonderful truth of God's covenant. God's covenant at its heart is the relationship of friendship that He's established between Himself and His people in Christ. God says to His people in the covenant, I am your God, you are my people. And the life of the covenant, therefore, is a life of communion and friendship with God. A beautiful aspect of that covenant is that God is pleased to establish His covenant not only with adult believers, but with their seed after them. He's pleased to gather His children from amongst the children of believers And already as children, they know God as their Father. They know the mighty works of God on their behalf in saving them. And this is the interest and the concern that we have as believers. An interest and a concern for the generation. Not only our own generations, our own children and grandchildren, but 
the generations of the church of Jesus Christ. And what a humbling thing it is to see those generations in our own line, in our own family. For some of us, we can trace a, a line of believers. Our grandparents were believers. Our parents were believers. We, by the grace of God, are believers. Our children are believers. Our grandchildren are believers. So that we see concretely the continuation of God's covenant in the line of generations. And the work of God in the generations of the covenant is that knowing the mighty work of God in their salvation in Jesus Christ, those generations praise the God of their salvation. This is what is constant from one generation to the next generation. There are so many things that are different, so many things that change from one generation to the next. That becomes very obvious, for example, with respect to technology. Our, our forefathers before us knew nothing of social media and cell phones. And the coming generation, this is all they've known. This is what they've grown up with. There's so many differences from one generation to the next generation. But this remains the same. One generation to the next praises God. Our spiritual generations before us praise the God of their salvation. This present generation praises the God of our salvation and we're confident that the God of the covenant who's faithful to that covenant and those promises will raise up generations that praise the same God of our salvation. <clears throat> One generation to the next shall praise the mighty works of God. But it's necessary that those coming generations be taught. And that's indicated in the text as well. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. The text is not only indicating this is and will be a reality that one generation to the next is praising God, but that one generation, the older generation, is declaring them, instructing the next generation with respect to those mighty works of God. That instruction is necessary. The coming generations do not, in and of themselves, know to praise and adore God. They need to be instructed in that. They need to be taught the mighty works of God. His mighty works in creation and in providence and especially His mighty work in salvation and then guided and instructed as to how to express praise to God for what He's done. 
What that indicates is that the instruction of the coming generation is not merely an academic matter. The imparting of, of certain facts and ideas, although it's partly that, that's not the whole reality. The aim is at the heart. Though not a one of us can actually touch the heart of one of the coming generation, we aim at the heart. So that not only do they learn in an academic way who God is in His mighty acts, but that they're led through that instruction to the proper praise and adoration of God. God is not, of course, dependent upon the instruction that's given to the next generation by the other older generation. God at times is pleased to raise up his believing children from some of the worst possible earthly circumstances. But understanding what God is able to do does not mean that we may reject the way that God is ordinarily pleased to work. And God is ordinarily pleased to work through the means of the instruction of the one generation to the next generation. Proverbs 22, verse 6 speaks of that. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That instruction is instruction that belongs, first of all, to the home and to parents. may be thankful God arranges the circumstances so that we have the help in a good Christian school. But the presence of a good Christian school does not take away the responsibility of parents, first of all, to instruct their generation. No Christian school, as good as it can be, can fix a broken home. Parents in the home have the responsibility to instruct their children in the mighty works of God and to lead them to the praise of God. Parents do that by speaking much of God by in their own life and by their own example, showing heartfelt, sincere worship and adoration of God. Not a, a mere outward token custom, but sincere love for God. And then taking every opportunity to direct the children to who God is and how He's revealed in creation and providence and in salvation. We can then each examine our own homes and our own families. Is this the tenor of our homes? 
Is this the direction, the orientation of our homes and our families? Or is it something else? Is the direction of our homes perhaps rather in the direction of worldliness and money and the pursuit of things? Is it a a cold kind of habit of speaking about God and the worship of God? Or is the tenor and the orientation of our homes that of a sincere gratitude and love and worship of the God of our salvation? calling extends beyond the home to the church of Jesus Christ. There's help that's given, for example, by grandparents. The instruction of the generations after them. This is the, the body of Jesus Christ as the church. The instruction that's formally given to the generations in the church or informally as all of the members care for one another. And this may come to expression as well as believers band together to form a school where there's help given to the home the instruction of the coming generations. That's the unique character of the Christian school. What makes a Christian school unique is not that there's devotions and a Bible class, though those are important. What makes a Christian school unique is not that there's a separation from the children of unbelievers in the world, though there's a benefit in that regard. What makes the Christian school unique is not top-notch Intellectual education, though we strive for excellence in education. What makes the Christian school unique is that there's instruction in the light of the Word of God so that all of the various subjects are a teaching of our children and a declaring to the next generation the mighty acts of God. That the children are pointed to God. So that in their study of science and biology, they, they learn well all of the facts and the information, but they're directed beyond that to the God of creation and the God of providence. And they learn history with all of the, the facts and the, the dates and what happens. But then they're directed beyond that to the God of providence who directs and ordains all of these things to serve Him in the coming of Jesus Christ. With that conviction that former generations pinched their pennies and poured blood, sweat, and tears into the establishing of that kind of institution that's a help to believing homes and believing parents. We love God's covenant as He's established that with us. We love the truth that God is pleased to continue that covenant in the line of generations so that we love the generations of the church. 
and love for those generations, we declare to them the mighty acts of God. And the fruit of that under the blessing of God is that one generation shall praise God's works to another. Amen. Let us pray. Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for thy covenant. Thankful thou dost continue that covenant in the line of generations of believers with us and with our seed after us. Cling to those promises. Thankful that thou dost so then work amongst our children. Pray, Heavenly Father, for wisdom and the strength to teach our children rightly, to instruct them in the fear of thee, and to show to them thy mighty acts. We pray that such instruction might serve for the building up and the strengthening of the faith of the coming generations. Pray for the forgiveness of our sins. In the name of Jesus Christ do we pray. Amen.